SCP-2039 Pikes and Wagners Object Class Euclid Special Containment Procedures Presently, Foundation efforts at Research Facility 2039 are focused on two fronts, prevention and minimization of collateral damage to the area outside the valley, and analysis of the phenomenon's history and behavior. Containment assets stationed at Research Facility 2039 have been given the primary directive of containing, or neutralizing the possibility of, any collateral damage caused by SCP-2039 during an active state. The team has been given the secondary objective of monitoring the perimeter of the valley to ensure that no civilians enter the area. During an active state, if personnel determine that the potential for collateral damage extends beyond the valley, the containment team will be mobilized. Direct elimination of subjects has proven impossible thus far. Currently, subjects are only capable of physical harm through direct confrontation with other subjects. Operatives will therefore focus their efforts on disarming subjects to neutralize the threat of further collateral damage. The long-term goal of the staff at Research Facility 2039 is to discover a method with which to neutralize the phenomenon. To this end, Foundation sociologist and physician Dr. Wilkes has been selected to act as an undercover liaison between SCP-2039 and the Foundation. Dr. Wilkes has been able to gather information on both groups' histories, as well as the nature of the phenomenon itself, by performing periodic house calls for both groups under the guise of a local physician. Due to the subject's sedentary history and apparent inability to exit the valley alive, researchers currently believe that subjects will not attempt to leave the area. However, should SCP-2039 become capable of leaving the valley, the potential for collateral damage has been deemed too high to dismiss as a possibility. Therefore, mobile task forces across the region have been briefed on the nature of SCP-2039 to assist local assets with capture and restraint of subjects should it become necessary. Description SCP-2039 collectively refers to two distinct families of humans residing in a mountainous area near Redacted, North Carolina. The groups currently reside on opposite sides of a tributary that runs between two small forested mountains. The predominant cultures and behaviors exhibited among SCP-2039 are typical of families who resided in the southeastern United States during the early 20th century. Each family produces its own sustenance through hunting and basic agriculture, using weapons and tools indicative of the era. Subjects from opposing families are generally unfriendly towards each other, but rarely ever initiate direct conflict unless provoked. During interviews, subjects from both groups generally claim that their families have been in the state of incivility for as long as they can remember. However, most summaries of the feud's origins are either wildly inconsistent or extremely vague. Accepting the account given by SCP-2039 P01. See Interview Log 2039-P0119 for details. Since the Foundation's discovery of SCP-2039 in 1904, none of the subjects have shown any signs of physical aging, nor have they attempted to leave the valley in which they reside. Attempts to remove subjects from the area by force have been met with extreme distress and violence, followed by cardiac arrest and death. Subjects remain deceased until returned to the area, where they will awaken at the end of the next active state. Detailed below. SCP-2039-P refers to the Pike family, located on the southern mountain. This group consists of 36 individuals of varying age who reside in a number of small shacks and cabins scattered along the hillside. 
The group has no apparent chain of command, but all SCP-2039-P subjects generally defer to the instructions and advice of a certain elderly member of the group, designated SCP-2039-P-01. SCP-2039-P-01 is a white female who appears to be between the ages of 60 and 75 years old. Subject claims its name is Dixie Mabel Pike, and prefers to be addressed by its given middle name, Mabel. SCP-2039-W refers to the Wagner family, located on the Northern Mountain. Unlike SCP-2039-P, the 29 subjects that comprise SCP-2039-W reside together in one large plantation-style home built into the hillside. SCP-2039-W also seems to have a designated leader, SCP-2039-W-01, a white male who appears to be between the ages of 55 to 70 years old. Subject claims its name is Blaine Randolph Wagner and prefers the name Blaine. Occasionally, subjects from either group will enter an active state, characterized by violent tendencies and a compulsion to harm and or murder all opposing subjects. A subject will only enter an active state if it believes that one of its family members has been harmed or threatened by a subject from the opposing group. Once this occurs, the subject becomes extremely agitated and hostile, and will immediately seek out other subjects from its group, causing them to enter active states as well. Once the majority of the group has become active, they will begin gathering weapons and tools from their homes with the intent to engage in direct conflict with the opposing group. From this point on, these weapons and tools are collectively designated SCP-2039-A. SCP-2039-A instances vary from one active state to the next. However, the level of technology demonstrated by these objects is usually anachronistic to the time period to which SCP-2039 adheres, and they frequently exhibit anomalous properties. Regardless of the nature of the weapons, subjects will always have full working knowledge of their operation. It is unknown from where in their homes subjects obtain instances of SCP-2039-A, or how they gain the knowledge required to operate the objects. Attempts at direct observation inside of these residencies during an active state are invariably met with extreme hostility and violence. SCP-2039-A Partial Log Year, 1910 Winchester Model 1912 Pump Action Shotguns and M1917 Enfield Rifles modified with M1917 bayonets, and British Mills bombs, a type of grenade. Notes Notable for being weapons of choice for Allied trench soldiers during World War I, seven years later. Year, 1932. Slings consisting of either flax or hemp. Notes Subjects used various small objects as projectiles, including stones, small pieces of wood, chicken eggs, pieces of cow manure, twist-off crown cork bottle caps, circa 1963, and lead sling bullets, with the inscription Zufilos engraved on one side. Year, 1971. Aerosol cans which spray a substance visually identical to Wham-O brand silly strings. Cans are labeled solid string. Notes. When it comes into contact with a physical object, the expelled substance rapidly expands to approximately 25 times its normal volume and becomes as hard and dense as concrete. Most deaths during this active state were caused by suffocation and massive esophageal rupture. Year, 1977. 
Objects resembled handheld satellite dishes. When activated, redacted. Notes. Objects appeared to be capable of completely dehydrating a human body in approximately 45 seconds from a range of up to 150 meters. Year, 1987. 3-liter capacity Super Soaker brand water guns. Notes. Subjects used SCP-2039-A instances as simple but effective bludgeon weapons, after realizing that they are merely filled with water. Year, 2003. 3-liter capacity Super Soaker brand water guns. Objects are physically identical to SCP-2039-A instances from 1987. However, they are now filled with military standard Napalm B. Year, 2010. MGM-140 ATACM surface-to-surface missiles. Notes. SCP-2039-W becomes active. All instances retreat into main residence instead of advancing southward. Entire front face of house collapses, revealing an M270-A1 multiple launch rocket system. Local containment assets immediately mobilize and use localized EMP weapons to disable electronic targeting and launch systems. Subjects advance southward, and proceed to engage SCP-2039-P in hand-to-hand -hand combat. Missiles are later discovered to contain nuclear payloads. Year 2013. Thick woolen gloves which data expunged. Notes. Once active state ends, remaining subjects discard gloves into river, where they dissolve into an opaque black liquid. Subsequent testing of water reveals data expunged. Once the active subjects have retrieved SCP-2039-A, they will advance towards the opposing group's residence, using the objects to attack all opposing subjects. This initial assault will inevitably trigger active states among opposing subjects, who will procure their own instances of SCP-2039-A and begin retaliating. If a subject becomes disarmed, it will continue the assault undeterred, engaging other subjects through hand-to-hand -hand combat. The conflict will continue until either SCP-2039-P or SCP-2039-W is completely eliminated, including SCP-2039-P-01 and SCP-2039-W-01. Once this is accomplished, remaining subjects will retreat into their respective homes and fall asleep, regardless of the time of day. After a dormancy period of 12 to 36 hours, all instances of SCP-2039-A will vanish, all collateral damage caused by SCP-2039 within the valley will instantly be repaired, and all subjects, both living and deceased, will awaken, completely devoid of injury. The subjects will then resume their daily routines and activities, behaving as if no conflict has taken place. Interviews conducted immediately after an active state reveal that subjects retain no memory of the conflict, with the exception of SCP-2039-P-01 and SCP-2039-W-01 who apparently retained the memory of every active state since the phenomenon's inception. Interview Log 2039-P01-19 Interviewer Dr. B. Wilkes Interviewed SCP-2039-P01 Mabel Pike Note This informal interview takes place in the residence of SCP-2039-P01 during one of Dr. Wilkes' undercover house calls. Three operatives are stationed in the forest nearby in case extraction is needed. Through multiple visits and conversations, 
SCP-2039-PO1 has grown comfortable enough with Dr. Wilkes to reveal the nature of SCP-2039. See Interview Log 2039-PO1-15. The purpose of Wilkes' line of questioning during the visit is to determine the origins of the SCP-2039 phenomenon. Irrelevant Dialogue Expunged Wilkes So, Mabel, what started this mess with the Wagners? PO1 you're gonna have to be a little more specific, dear. What do you mean? Well, I mean, which mess are we talking about? The one where them Wagner twins burned down Sal's hay shed? Or that time where Blaine Wagner herself killed three of our dairy cows just for spite? Or maybe you mean the time Judy found Erva Wagner with a chicken? I'm sorry. I mean in general. The way you all talk about it seems this bitterness and hostility has been around for a very long time. What happened all those years ago? Oh, Doc, you don't want to hear about all that nonsense. It's such a long story and you got plenty of things more important to worry yourself with. You're my last call of the day, dear. I've got nothing but time if you want to talk about it. And I've seen my fair share of strange. I might be able to help with this cycle you told me about. Well, I doubt that, sweetheart, but hell, if you really want to know, I'll tell you what I can recall. Blaine Wagner and me used to be real close, back when we was kids. Thick as thieves, they called us, and for good reason. Our family used to call us the Wild Bunch, after Butch Cassidy's old gang. We had a knack for snagging all sorts of sweets and whatnots from our neighbors around the valley. Sounds like you might as well have been family. Well, what's family, really? The people you share blood with? Or the people you grow up with, eat dinner with, steal candy with? wade through shit with. So yes, Blaine was my brother. Closest thing to a brother I ever had anyway. So, what happened that drove you both to hate each other so much? When we was in our 20s, I met a girl. A blonde little spitfire named Lucy. Gracious, we loved each other like soil loves water. Now back then, they'd all but lynch girls who fancied other girls, so we had to keep it to ourselves. I was so scared. I didn't even tell Blaine about her. In the end, I didn't have to anyways, I guess. Some of them Bolick boys caught sight of me and Lucy walking home one day, getting real close and holding hands. I thought they must have ran their ignorant mouths to Blaine. Couple days later, Lucy had invited me over to a picnic lunch while her pappy was at work. When I walked in the door, I found Blaine standing over her body, holding a Smith & Wesson. I remember thinking how pretty she was with red hair. What happened between you two after that? Well, I was pretty damn upset, to put it lightly. I swore I'd never have anything to do with that murdering son of a bitch ever again. Never even let him try to explain what happened. Years went by, I ended up settling down with one of them Pike boys, Walter. God rest his soul. We had a bunch of kids and grandkids, had a farm and whatnot, but... It wasn't love. Not really. I never went a whole night without dreaming of Lucy's pretty face covered in her own blood. And living right across the river from the bastard that shot her just about drove me crazy. I never did really tell anyone what happened between me and Blaine. All they knew was that old Mr. Wagoner did something really awful. And so we hated each other. Did it get violent? For a good while? No. 
There was an occasional scuffle over some crops or a couple of harsh words thrown across the river, but nothing violent. So when did it become more than shouting matches? Well, after Walt passed, I went to a real dark place. Started dreaming of ways to make Blaine pay for the miserable life I'd lived since he killed my Lucy. It's all I thought about for a couple of years. It was about that time I got a visit from the gray-eyed man. Gray-eyed man? Yes, sir. Gray and shifting, like a thundercloud. Said he was some kind of collector or storyteller or something. Said he loved a good tale, and asked if I knew what actually happened to Lucy way back when. Now that took me by surprise. Hell, by that time, it'd been so long I thought me and Blaine were the only two people who even still knew about it. Do you remember anything else about this man? Nothing particular comes to mind. He was pretty ordinary, except for the mice. I do remember how he got this hungry look in his eyes as I was telling him about Lucy. What did you talk about? Well, I ended up pouring out my whole life on him, just like I did you, and he just sat there, drinking it all in like honey. I told him how Blaine Wagner was the cause of all my heartache and misery. He took it all in, and then he said something very strange. I'll never forget it. He said, Mabel, I want to help you finish this story. I asked what the hell he was talking about, and he says, I want to give you the tools to punish Blaine Wagner forever. Strange. What did he mean by that? At the time, I really had no idea. I thought he was going to try to sell me something, you know, like one of them snake oil people from up north. So, how did you respond to his offer? Like I said, I was in a real dark place. I would have sold my soul to get back at Blaine. So I asked the gray-eyed man what he wanted from me. He said, I don't want anything from you, Mabel. I just want to give you an end to the story. A forever after, if you will. I told him that sounded exactly like what I needed, and we shook hands. Never saw him again after that. I'm sorry if this is too upsetting right now. We can talk later if you want. Nelby, I'll be alright. Remembering that man's eyes just gives me the willies, is all. Sorry. Right. Anyway, a couple days later, one of my youngest, Jerry, comes home screaming and hollering about something them Wagners did. Wasn't long until the whole family was up in arms, passing out torches and rifles. I tried to shut them up and figure out what happened, but they wouldn't hear none of it. I could see it in their eyes, this hungry look. The same look I got from that storyteller man. They was out for blood. I watched from my front porch while they stampeded across the valley like bulls in a thunderstorm, straight towards the Wagner place. I could hear the guns and screaming from all the way over here. I watched that house go up in flames. I could hear some of the Wagner grandkids squealing like pigs while they burned, even from that far away. You read the Bible, B? On occasion... In the book of Matthew, Jesus said something about people being thrown out of the kingdom and into darkness, where there was all sorts of weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth. Footnote 1, Christian Bible, Matthew 8.12. That's what I heard that night be. Hell. Plain and simple. That's awful, Mabel. I can't imagine how you must have felt. Oh, Doc. Look at me getting all dramatic with this hellfire and brimstone nonsense. Anyway, I don't remember fainting, 
but I do remember waking up in my bed the next day. It was like nothing ever happened. There were no guns. Nobody was hurt. Nobody was mad or screaming. Hell, even the Wagner place was still there, like it forgot that it was supposed to be on fire. I was starting to think maybe it was just a bad dream until Blaine Wagner himself ran up to my house screaming, Mabel, what in God's name did you do? What the hell happened last night? He had this terrified look in his eyes. He looked like a man possessed. My boys thought he'd gone nutty, so they chased him back across the river. I heard him scream, You'll answer for this, Mabel Pike. This story is far from over before they ran him off. I honestly didn't know what I had to answer for. I didn't think any of that hogwash the gray-eyed man had said actually held any weight, but I guess I was wrong. So, when did Mr. Wagner first retaliate? Well, I wouldn't really call it retaliation. I don't think Blaine actually had anything to do with what happened next. All I know is, about a week later, me and Ezekiel were canning some beans, when all of a sudden Zeke just drops out of his chair, a long black arrow sticking out of both sides of his neck. That's when I saw a horde of Wagners running out of the woods, carrying some real funny-looking bows with these little pulleys on the ends, screaming and shooting thin black arrows with shiny metal tips every which way. The Wagners were attacking your family? The way they were screaming reminded me of how my family sounded when they burned down the Wagner's house. I didn't hear a whole lot of it, though. One of them managed to sink an arrow right here in my leg, and it, pardon the expression, dropped me like a horse turd. The last thing I remember seeing was Arival Wagner standing over me, staring straight into my soul. And then he spoke to me. What did he say? The end. Then he drew back on the bow and everything went black. I woke up on my bed, just like before. Zeke was just fine, sitting outside cannon beans. No arrows, no Wagners, just like before. My God, Mabel. Does just like every time before. Just like every time forever. Oh God. Forever. The storyteller man said forever. We can stop now, Mabel, it's okay. No, B. Forever. He said forever. I'm going to keep dying forever. Oh, God. Lucy, I'm so sorry. At this point, subject's distress becomes audible across the room, attracting the attention of SCP-2039-P27, subject's grandson and caretaker. SCP-2039-P27. Granny Mabel, what's going on? Is he bothering you? No, Zeke, everything's fine. Mabel just got a little excited, see? We were just talking, nothing is... Their eyes were gray. Oh, God. Erival's eyes were gray. They were hungry and gray. All their eyes were gray. Oh, God, Lucy, why are they all gray? What in the hell did you do, huh? Did Blaine Wagner send you here? Zeke, please calm down. It's me, Dr. Wilkes. We were just talking. Dumb bastard Wagner pieces of shit sent you here, huh? You think you're just gonna come in here and hurt my family, Doc? We'll see about that. Subject exits room, presumably entering an active state. Wilkes quickly exits subject's residence. Come in, exit team. Pike 27 has gone active. I need extraction now. Therefore, by their fruits, ye shall know them. Footnote 2, Christian Bible, Matthew 720. Where is that song, bitch? We will be punished with everlasting destruction and shut out from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might. 
footnote 3, Christian Bible, 2 Thessalonians, 1-9. At this point, Dr. Wilkes quickly exits the cabin, followed closely by SCP-2039-P27, who is wielding SCP-2039-A, which appears to be a 12-gauge shotgun. Shots are fired, revealing that the shells in the weapon are loaded with dozens of metallic flechettes, which quickly liquefy upon impact. Flechettes are presumed comprised of solid mercury. By the time operatives extract Dr. Wilkes, with only minor injuries, all SCP-2039-P subjects in the vicinity have entered an active state and have acquired their own instances of SCP-2039-A. Subjects begin advancing northward, toward the main residence of SCP-2039-W. Active state proceeds as normal. Note. All attempts by Dr. Wilkes to gather similar information from SCP-2039-W-01 have been unsuccessful. When questioned about the feud's origins, the subject becomes defensive and hostile. However, audio surveillance of the house occupied by SCP-2039-W reveals that SCP-2039-W-01 suffers from frequent night terrors. The most frequently spoken words during these episodes include Lucy and Ever After. Foundation historians are currently investigating local records to determine the identity of the storyteller, described by SCP-2039-P01, but have made no progress. Thank you for listening to SCP-2039, Pikes and Wagners, by Die Rubik Die. If you enjoyed this SCP, please like and subscribe, and follow the link in the description to the SCP Wiki, and vote it up to support it and the SCP Wiki as a whole. Also, I'd like to give a special shout out to Wahan Crow, Last of the Four Horsemen, and Powerless for all joining to be members on YouTube. If you would like to get a shout out and enjoy a special members only Saturday upload, please follow the link in the description.